In this podcast, the data privacy detective will explore the EU-US Privacy Shield. This is a choice for US businesses that uh, want to receive data from the European Union about people. Brief history. In 1995, the EU Privacy Directive uh, came into being and it, it told the member states of the European Union that they should adopt national laws about the protection of personal data. And these laws had to conform to basic common principles that aim to make the European Union a common market as to personal data and to protect uh, the data of people in the European Union under the human rights conventions that are part of the European uh, Union. Well, the directive uh, included provisions to prevent the transfer of personal data to anywhere outside the European Union unless the transferees of the data committed or were acquired by law in their country to comply with Europe's basic approach to personal data privacy. A wholesale transfer of personal data to uh, uh, entities and countries that lacked a quote adequate close quote level of legal protection for personal data as determined by the European Union uh, were prohibited. And this caused some businesses to switch their uh, collection of data and their processing of data to Europe and uh, entities uh, moved servers to the European Union and tried to sort of keep data within the European Union but of course this is ultimately a, an impossible task. Data is global, the cloud uh, has emerged of course and there's an enormous flow of trade, investment and personnel going on between Europe and the United States of course. In general the European and American market, uh, if you consider it together, is the single largest commercial market in the world by far. Cross-border data flows between the U.S. and Europe are the highest in the world. So the European Union and the United States have a mutual interest in data privacy not becoming a major impediment to uh, increasing global commerce. Well, in the late 1990s, the United States met with the European Union representatives and, and, and that resulted in what was called a safe harbor agreement. And the safe harbor allowed U.S. companies and organizations to uh, receive data from the European Union uh, as long as the businesses that signed up for the safe harbor in the United States met basic uh, European requirements and uh, that allowed them to receive uh, personal data from the European Union. Businesses signed up, uh, about 4,500 did so uh, uh, as of uh, 2018, with the U.S. Commerce Department and the Federal Trade Commission, that uh, the FTC, that finally became the enforcer of basic rules required for dealing with EU source data. Because if you signed up for it as a U.S. business, you were telling people you were going to abide by it. And the FTC, of course, can enforce uh, rules on false advertising and unfair trade, and the FTC therefore became the policeman uh, uh, for people who, businesses that signed up and said that they were going to handle data a certain way, but uh, maybe actually didn't do it. And the rules of the safe harbor embrace the basic principles of the European approach to data privacy, but did not insist on strict compliance with every individual detail that every EU member state adopted. 
<clears throat> the FTC took enforcement action uh, over the years against about 40 U.S. companies under the safe harbor. Uh, that's over about 20 years. And that's less than 1% of all the businesses that joined uh, the safe harbor. Some would call that lax enforcement. Others see it as proof the safe harbor worked. But regardless of that, in 2013, there were revelations that surfaced about the U.S. Uh, National Security Agency, uh, surveillance programs, the involvement of U.S. telecommunications firms in providing personal data to U.S. government sources. You know, this was headline news stuff. And in October of 2015, the Court of Justice of the European Union, uh, we call it the ECJ, the European Court of Justice, invalidated the safe harbor as not meeting the essential requirements of EU law, saying the U.S. does not provide an adequate level of protection for personal data of people in the EU. Well, uh, the European and U.S. officials promptly uh, met and negotiated a replacement in February 2016. This is known as the Privacy Shield. It was adopted by the European Commission in July of 2016. Then in February of 2017, the EU and the U.S. entered into the EU-U.S. Data Privacy and Protection Agreement. That's an umbrella pact that addresses personal information exchanged by law enforcement agencies. And in 2017, Congress uh, amended the judicial redress provisions of the, the very old 1974 U.S. Privacy Act uh, that uh, were extended by the 2017 Act to cover European citizens. Well, these measures address some of the concerns expressed by the ECJ in the Safe Harbor decision. And arose the Privacy Shield. Now, the Privacy Shield is already the subject of lawsuits uh, winding its way through the courts of uh, Europe uh, by European privacy advocates aiming to invalidate the Privacy Shield. So it's, it's uncertain whether it will be upheld eventually as of May 2018. And a very important group in Europe, the Article 29 Working Party, it's called, has expressed strong concerns that some of the commercial and national security aspects of the Privacy Shield are not adequate. Many substantial U.S. companies have nonetheless enrolled in the Privacy Shield, viewing it as a means of permitting, facilitating the transfer of data of EU persons to the United States. Uh, and that should cover uh, the uh, the way the world will be in the European Union uh, when the GDPR kicks into effect on May 25, 2018. So what is the Privacy Shield and what does a U.S. business gain and risk uh, by joining it? Well, the Privacy Shield requires a U.S. business to self-certify to U.S. government agencies that it will meet seven distinct categories of principles when dealing with EU-governed personal data. Here are the seven. Notice to data subjects, doesn't say consent, but notice to data subjects, those are people, about collection and use of their personal information. Choice, choice of data subjects to approve, disapprove, or limited the, limit the use of their personal data. Accountability for onward transfers of personal data. The security of personal data 
data integrity and, and purpose limitation, access of people to their data that someone else holds, and number seven, recourse, enforcement, and liability provisions. A privacy shield supplement adds requirements for a number of things, handling sensitive data, secondary liability, the role of the EU member state data protection authorities, human resources data, pharmaceutical and medical products, and publicly available data. There's also a model for arbitrating disputes. For the U.S. Commerce Department text of the Privacy Shield principles and the supplements, uh, you can go to the website that uh, is in the written materials that accompany this podcast. Now, if a U.S. business self-certifies to U.S. agencies that it will comply with these provisions and has conformed its practices to meet Privacy Shield principles, then the transfer of EU personal data to it will generally mean that there won't be enforcement by EU uh, officials or data protection authorities, but instead the U.S. Federal Trade Commission can take action against a business that signs up for the privacy shield but, uh, but doesn't actually implement it or violates it. The FTC has the authority, of course, to combat unfair trade practices and misleading advertising. Well, the obvious gain for U.S. business in joining the Privacy Shield is to be able to receive and process EU personal data without fear of direct challenge by EU data protection authorities. Now, EU data subjects, individuals, will, will still have direct enforcement rights under arbitration and other dispute resolution mechanisms that the Privacy Shield permits. But those are procedures that can largely take place initially through a business's own internal system for resolving disputes and through a binding arbitration that can take place uh, uh, under the Privacy Shield rules. A broader benefit is, is reputational because U.S. businesses can say that they, they are respecting the European approach to data privacy, at least as uh, it applies to persons uh, in the EU. Well, what are the burdens and risks to U.S. business? Why not just sign up for it? Well, first, there's a sign-up cost. And that ranges from $250 initially to $3,250 based on the amount of a company's revenues. And then, and more importantly, there's the substantial cost and effort of adapting business methods and technology that work in the United States to conform to the rather different principles in place in Europe. Uh, and that, that effectively requires a U.S. business to comply with the basic framework of the GDPR as expressed in the seven categories I mentioned and the supplements. Let me give you one example. Uh, the, uh, the principles uh, as to uh, consent uh, are, are, are different from what uh, U.S. Uh, practice is in just kind of referencing a, a privacy policy somewhere that, frankly, almost nobody reads before they say, yeah, I want to do business with a company. That's, it's different under the principles of the GDPR and of the privacy shield. Well, second, a U.S. business will face a, uh, 
a home turf regulator in the FTC if it signs up for the Privacy Shield. And it's going to have to concede that uh, there's no jurisdictional or venue objection to an FTC enforcement action in the United States if the business fails to do what it has self-certified it, it will do. By contrast, a U.S. business that receives EU-governed personal data but does not materially offer goods and services to EU residents and doesn't significantly monitor the behavior of EU residents uh, would face minimal risk uh, in being challenged directly by an EU data protection authority. Article 27.1 of the GDPR, for example, requires non-EU businesses covered by Article 3.2 uh, to appoint a representative in the EU but Article 27.2 says that this is not required for, quote, processing, which is occasional, does not include, on the large scale, processing of special categories of data, close quote. So there are many U.S. businesses that may have occasional or erratic uh, EU personal data but aren't uh, seriously offering goods and services in the EU and uh, aren't monitoring the behavior of EU persons and may simply wish not to join the Privacy Shield or otherwise uh, uh, go to the uh, expense and effort of complying with European ideas. Third, a U.S. business must commit to principles that by their nature uh, can be ambiguous as compared with adopting binding corporate rules or the standard contractual clauses the EU offers that are alternative ways that a U.S. business can receive uh, EU personal data without resorting to the Privacy Shield. There are numerous other requirements specified by the Privacy Shield beyond those provided uh, under the old Safe Harbor approach and a summary of the, the new provisions compared to the safe harbor is available at the website in the written materials. Now, a business may join the Privacy Shield with, without having to comply with every specific provision of the GDPR and all the variations about data privacy that EU member states can make. We call them derogations. Instead, a Privacy Shield business must comply with the principles and the supplements which, while extensive, aren't as extensive as the full scope of the GDPR. Uh, U.S. Uh, businesses are going to have to, uh, if they join the Privacy Shield, to take a careful look at their, the data of European uh, persons that they hold and to change their web-based and other data systems to be far more specific in stating in conspicuous, plain language what uses will be made of a person's personal data? Much more plain and specific than is prevalent under existing U.S. practice. Now, U.S. persons are all familiar with HIPAA in the medical area and what the banks and financial institutions go through in the fintech area and getting very clear consent and providing clear notice to people about how their data is being used. But outside of the sectors where the U.S. has specifically singled out data privacy to require this kind of express consent, uh, the U.S. allows a lot more flexibility in, in simply using a privacy notice that may not be read by anybody to, uh, to proceed to use persons, uh, personal data in the United States. And so if a U.S. business signs up for the privacy shield and, and 
treats European persons differently from U.S. persons, uh, that of course is going to raise an issue for the U.S. business. Why is it treating European people one way and, and U.S. Uh, persons uh, differently? It's an interesting business problem. So a U.S. business has to balance the benefit from joining the Privacy Shield against the risks and burdens that the Privacy Shield imposes. As of uh, the end of April 2018, almost 3,000 U.S. companies have self-certified to the U.S. Commerce Department uh, or Department of Transportation under the Privacy Shield. Uh, and that means the vast majority of U.S. companies have not. Many of the 3,000 have been prior safe harbor participants. At a late March 2018 summit of the International Association of Privacy Professionals, EU Data Protection Supervisor Giovanni Buttarelli made interesting comments as reported in a Bloomberg Law International Trade Reporter. He basically said the privacy shield may soon become obsolete. He called the shield a short-term solution that aimed to bridge the time between the phase-out of EU data privacy detective uh, directives uh, principles and the coming into force of the GDPR. He uh, said that companies doing business in the EU must comply with the GDPR by then, which will require them to meet the full scope of EU rules about personal data. And so, uh, in essence, he was saying, why bother with the more limited uh, scope of the privacy shield. But of course he was speaking about U.S. companies that have uh, serious presence uh, in the European Union and are very deliberately marketing goods and services or monitoring the behavior on a broad scale of EU citizens, I think. Well, one final thought as, as U.S. businesses, uh, or for that matter any business outside the EU, is thinking about uh, how to deal with the GDPR and in the U.S. case whether to join the Privacy Shield, there can be substantial benefit, regardless of legal considerations, in adopting essential principles and business practices of European data privacy rules. The recent Facebook uh, Cambridge Analytica revelation and the uh, Equifax uh, hack and uh, other things that have put data privacy into the headlines in, in the United States highlight the reputational risk of being viewed as unfair or unprotective in handling personal data. And if businesses outside the EU that receive personal data about EU residents provide a heightened set of protections for them how can they explain not doing it for everybody else? How can that be defended or explained from a business standpoint? Is there something about European persons that gives them more protection than everybody else? Perhaps Supervisor Buttarelli is right that the privacy shield is a short-term solution. Not because the GDPR is going to supplant it for non-EU businesses, but because data privacy is by its nature global, requiring businesses to consider the adoption of data protection policies and procedures that should ultimately be applicable to all individuals, regardless of where they live.
it's a thought. Well, this is the data privacy detective signing off for today. And remember, protecting your personal data begins with you.